oh, what is knowledge? You know, yeah, there's a, yeah. that, that's one of the toughest things about talking about AI mm-hmm. is there's no way to escape philosophical discussions, um, you know, uh, consciousness, uh, intelligence. Like there's a lot of very philosophical things tied up in, is it sentient? And like all that stuff. All right, so today's podcast is going to be about AI, of course. Everybody's talking about it. I'm going to have uh, my friends Luke and Owen on the podcast. Um, We're going to be chatting casually about AI, and we're going to intro this um, podcast by playing them a clip that I got ChatGTP to write the script for, and I got Speechify to use to verbalize that dialogue. Here we go. Yo, yo, it's your boy Snoop D-O-double-G, and I'm here to introduce you to the hottest new podcast in town. That's right, it's the Chad Harrington Podcast. So sit back, relax, and get ready to hear from the best of the best. It's the Chad Harrington Podcast, and it's coming at you straight from the top. <laughs> yep, Could you that hear was that? Snoop Dogg. That was <laughs> scary. That it was... Yeah, yeah, Speechify. It's a, it's a new... um. I guess thing. It literally does voiceovers. It's going to, it's coming close to, to killing voiceover careers everywhere. Well, that was actually one of the things I wanted to ask about uh, if we were getting into the AI discussion mm. was what impact is that having on Katie? We don't know for sure, actually, um, because there's no feedback in the voiceover industry. So they, they call it for auditions, you audition you don't get the job you don't know why so uh it does seem like it's maybe slowing down a bit but this could be a lot of reasons for that i don't think ai is the problem just yet but for like low level to like introductory video stuff it's definitely we'll call it a threat but that wasn't the kind of work she was like working for anyways it certainly doesn't have the ability to really like we were playing with it today doing some voiceover stuff with it. And you can change like the general mood of the characters, but you can't like, you can't get them to say like your slogan with the right emphasis because it reads it kind of like melancholy. So like if you know, right. But is that speechify or is that the deep fake tool set that you used? Uh, that's speechify. Um, Speechify is, does voiceover work as well, but it's um, it was originally I think created as a reading tool, but and so Snoop Dogg got into this. So technically, you can't do a voiceover with Snoop Dogg's voice. I just pressed play on it reading a document that I uploaded. Um, right, which which I get right. Yeah, I have so, a Gwyneth Paltrow intro as well. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. I want to hear Gwyneth read the Snoop Dogg intro. Oh, okay. Let's pause. Rewind. Gwyneth. Yo, yo. It's your boy Snoop D-O-double-G, and I'm here to introduce you to the hottest new podcast in town. That's right. It's the Chad Harrington Podcast. So sit back, relax, and get ready to hear from the best of the best. It's the Chad Harrington Podcast, and it's coming at you straight from the top. (laughs) So what's interesting is, yeah, you could definitely tell that was rendered speech the snoop dog one based on the language 
used, right, was a little more natural because of this, how they captured the sound clips and all that stuff. But anyway, that's getting us a little off topic. Yeah, well, I think the the Paltrow one also didn't sound perfect, possibly partially because it's like it's not a sentence you'd ever hear Gwyneth Paltrow say. So I think that actually right. like the the phrasing was probably doing the Snoop Dogg one some favors, right? If you gave Snoop, yep. the Snoop Dogg one something that Snoop Dogg would never say, you probably would have the same kind of uncanny valley. So, and that's what I found too. Like the second half where it was sit back, relax. Those are words she would say. So there's probably the ability to pull audio, mash it, stuff like that. So you're right. Yeah. Depending on the content, it's definitely yeah. contingent yep. on how. I'm glad you used the term uncanny valley. That's... Because it, it it definitely is right. Yeah. Let me see here. I have oh, I have the Gwyneth. I the, both of these, by the way. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and I am thrilled to be here today to introduce this amazing show. Chad is an exceptional host with a unique ability to bring out the best in his guests, no matter who they are or what they do. His insightful and engaging conversations are always thought-provoking and inspiring, leaving listeners with a renewed sense of curiosity and purpose. So sit back, relax, and get ready to be enlightened by Chad Harrington and his incredible guests. Yeah, definitely a bit better. So I I got ChatGTP to generate these, of course, right? So I'm curious, so, but did you ask the ChatGPT to generate them based on yeah, the speaker? Okay. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, there was a, it was a longer um, Snoop Dogg intro too. Though I deleted some of the middle because it was just going on forever. But um, like Snoop Dogg is want to do, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. So, but yeah, I don't know if you got to hear much of what Owen was saying. But like you know, when we heard Snoop Dogg, because of the language used that is similar to Snoop Dogg, it felt pretty natural. Yeah. Uh, but when you and that's why I asked you to do was to have Gwyneth read it, right? Yes, and, exactly. Uh, the term that Owen used is the one that's really important for some of the deep fake stuff. Uh, the uncanny valley response that we have as humans. Uncanny valley? What's that? Basically, it's when you see Dwayne the Rock Johnson in, like, I think it's the Mummy One, where he's like the Scorpion Spider Man, and like it's kind of shitty CG from two thousand three or four, right? Um, and it like. It's it's almost unsettling. Like it's not meant to be, but it, it's it's vaguely disturbing to look at just because it's it's so close to what you're expecting, but some deep recessed part of your brain goes, uh uh-uh, uh, nope, that's not a real person. Right. Even though it's even though it's close but not quite. And like Owen said, because of the CGI that was used, like you can't quite put your finger on why it's bad CGI. Mm. Because, you know, it, it's a decent representation of his face. It's a decent representation of, like, you know, insectoid, reptilian, or sorry, insectoid, carapace on the scorpion part. Like, it's all that stuff. But just no. Like Owen said, you, you have this sort of visceral, almost reptile brain reaction that, nope, survival mode kicks in. So this uncanny valley is, um, it's a, a point of research in psychology and neuroscience, actually. So Interesting. I've never you, heard that one before. So when I was a kid, for example, some mannequins in department stores didn't bother me. Okay. It's because you could tell they were a mannequin right, because the were, eyes weren't glass they eyes. They were fake enough know. or whatever. It, exactly. But right. some mannequins were the way they were dressed, the way they were posed, as well as like uh, the skin tones, the facial expressions. Yeah. They 
felt more real. And I would get that almost like dizzy, like, whoa. And as a kid, you can't articulate it. But now I right. have the vocabulary. That's the uncanny valley. I've and seen um, some creepy dolls like that. Yeah. And it just, you get unsettled. Right? Yes. Yeah. It's so, like you seeing somebody in suspended animation. Yeah. And your brain's uh, like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Okay. At yeah, least I think with there's, the mannequins. And I could be talking completely out of my ass here, but I think there's some research that suggests that the uncanny valley effect with specifically reference to like a human face giving you that that um uneasiness is a an evolutionary trait that was developed basically to tell you like this person is sick or this person is dead and you mm. should not interact right. with that because right. you might get sick or die too. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Uh and then we'll so, be now using that to detect whether we think people are androids or not. Well, that's exactly right. Um, some of the, I can't remember if it was a Japanese airline or another Japanese company, but they effectively put this ultra realistic robot mm-hmm. as a customer service front end right. to just, you know, a bunch of automated processes in the back. So, you know, when you call the, uh, IVR systems on the phone, press one for this, press two for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you would interact with this robot who had just like disturbingly real skin, mm-hmm. eyes, would blink, and would turn their head. But the motions and reactions were just not correct. And it disturbed everybody who interacted with that robot. <laughs> and again, that's not AI, but it's yeah, that, that makes uncanny sense. valley piece. <clears throat> but now in the land of deep fakes, for, especially for video, yeah. Um, you know, and in the land of, you know, what comes next with AI, you know, it, that uncanny valley reaction is something we shouldn't discount. It's interesting. Um, yeah, so people prefer, like, robots that look like robots. And, and exactly. do you think that, so here's my thinking, is, the, is Commander Data, is he good enough? Or does he have an uncanny, like, if we were in, if it was real life and we walked in and, data standing there would we be we'd probably be wigged out you know that's interesting i'm trying to think back to the first time i saw data on the screen or did he pass you know that's the question well and that's interesting right because like you said was he robot enough because of the you know the skin tone the the eyes and the deliberate twitch instead of smooth motion reactions Mm. was it enough to prevent the uncanny valley from triggering when you saw him that's a really good question it's hard to know because it was tv but i think if i walked in and i met him in real life i think that would i think the response would be like like what the fuck is this like i can't (laughs) process this fully like he seems pretty cognizant but like something wrong here i think that would probably create that effect with it being tv and there's already like lieutenant wharf and all this other stuff right but also on TV, there's a recent show, and Owen, maybe you might remember, I think you even mentioned this, but wasn't one of the recent Marvel TV shows an Uncanny Valley issue for some viewers, where it got sort of a bad rep the first couple of times it was on? I I don't recall whether, you know, yeah. which, which Marvel show it might have been. Um, the example I gave was, I don't know if it's The Mummy, or I should Google it, because I could be wrong, but... It's Dwayne the Rock Johnson as well, a that yeah. one uh is the only example that I gave. Um 
So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there was a recent Marvel show, but it wouldn't surprise me because that's just kind of how CG tends to work. <laughs> right, right. No, Unless I know we talked about it a couple of months ago, potentially on Game Night, but I can't remember now. So, but anyway, I, I do recall, you know, in my own feed of news that there was an uncanny valley effect recently with the CGI that was used in a recent Marvel production. So again, it's not just in person; it's visual from a that's distance. That's true. Also, from, also in involved in media that's interesting yeah. yeah um let me see here uh i'm gonna do a quick blurb on you guys very quickly i think uh just in case i don't do an intro properly um sure so right now we're just talking with uh owen who i'm going to summarize as a 20 something it whiz kid <laughs> okay <laughs> I, I second that. I second that. Uh, right, and um, we've got uh, Luke, who's been uh, specializing in uh, cybersecurity for how long? Um, at least. Well, I wanted to say a decade, but I don't even know how long that is technically. <laughs> yeah. So in IT security and information security, now cybersecurity is the fancy name for it. But for yeah, for fifteen years. Nice. Okay. That's it. Now you know you're talking to people who are nerds. Um, uh, so, okay, let's move into this next thing that I wanted to kind of... I wanted ChatGTP to introduce itself, so this is kind of silly. I got ChatGTP to write... For, there might be people listening uh, who don't know even what the AI in ChatGTP even is. So I got ChatGTP to... I just said... I, I prompted it. Could you write a blog or a... Uh, a podcast where you're the guest, just a quick, quick podcast. So I then I took this information, I punched it into Speechify voiceover. So it's an AI generated podcast, very short, um, with I don't know if you call this AI generated voices, but computer generated voices, anyways. So here's the little, um, the little, little mock podcast it created for us about itself today. We have a very special guest with us, ChatGPT. ChatGPT is a large language model trained by OpenAI based on the GPT 3.5 architecture. ChatGPT, it's great to have you here. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. So, ChatGPT, for those who may not be familiar with what you are, could you explain a bit about what you do? Absolutely. As a language model, my primary function is to process and generate human-like language based on input that I receive. I've been trained on a vast amount of text data, which has enabled me to understand and generate language at a high level of proficiency. Essentially, I'm a machine learning algorithm that can engage in human-like conversations on a variety of topics. That's fascinating. Can you tell us a bit more about how you were created? Sure, I was created by a team of researchers at OpenAI, a leading AI research organization. They used a technique called unsupervised learning to train me on a large corpus of text data. Essentially, they fed me a huge amount of text from the internet and let me learn patterns and relationships in the language on my own. That sounds like a really complex process. So, what are some of the practical applications of your technology? There are many potential applications for my technology, ranging from language translation and natural language processing to chatbots and virtual assistants. I can also be used to generate creative writing, such as poetry or fiction. Some people have even used me to create chatbots for customer service or to assist with mental health therapy. That's really interesting. 
So, what do you think the future holds for AI and natural language processing? I think we're just scratching the surface of what's possible with AI and natural language processing. As we continue to develop more advanced machine learning algorithms and training techniques, we'll be able to create even more sophisticated language models that can understand and generate language at an even higher level of proficiency. This could have major implications for fields like healthcare, education, and customer service, among others. Okay, thanks for joining us today, ChatGPT. It's been really fascinating to learn more about your technology and the potential applications of AI and natural language processing. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here. <laughs> I, I, it made me laugh when it said uh, a higher level of proficiency. I'm like, that was the most awkward thing it did the whole time. Um, <laughs> so uh, there, anybody who didn't know. That's that's ChatGPT's own interpretation of itself hosting a podcast. Um, so, what are your what are you guys' thoughts on that? Anything sparked from that? N- nothing sparked. Um, you know, this is not to say that I'm underwhelmed by ChatGPT, mm-hmm. but the it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I've seen behind the curtain, so to speak. Like I understand, and again, not an expert by a long stretch when it comes to anything related to AI, but in computer science, being exposed to machine learning, neural nets, all the sort of things that build into the AI research domain, mm-hmm. um, it's it's interesting what it can do, but it's not fascinating, right? It's been fascinating for me, but recently, having used it a lot, it's starting to feel less, less overwhelmingly interesting. Like I use it probably every day, and, and it starts to become yeah, un, more underwhelming, less, less, less magical. Um, but it does still surprise me when you can say like. Can you talk? Can you write this in the tone of Gwyneth Paltrow? Can you write this in the tone of Snoop Dogg? That that's interesting to me that it it can emulate that stuff. I know it's just generating text, but it's it's definitely it's definitely a what is it a productivity um, accelerator? I think. Although I tried to, to write get it to write me a blog post the other day, and it was pretty good. But then when I started getting into the editing. I honestly got so frustrated trying to edit it down. I gave up on the whole thing because I got it to write three versions. I didn't like any of them particularly great. And then I tried to edit one down and then I just got frustrated. I said, so, never mind, no blog post today. <laughs> so I have a question on that, but Owen, did you want to comment on sort of what you thought about the GTP, sorry, GPT self-intro? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's it's pretty neat. Um, I think the thing that we see with a model like chat GPT, where there's so much, um, like is, is obviously the, the biggest, um, LLM model. Um, like it's got the most, uh, sort of token memory as well as like by far the most training steps. Um, so it's, it's definitely the most convincing of any of the sort of chat bots that have been created so far. Um, but at the same time, like something like the, the intro there, I can see, um, a, a, another language model, you know, whether it's like a chat bot, like Cleverbot or Eevee or any of those previous ones coming up with something similar. Um, where I do think chat GPT is more interesting is that it's, um, 
is definitely more guidable than previous chatbots, which I think makes it useful. Um, although, like you said, knowing how these things are trained, it's it's not. And and I mean, for the record, I have a lot less experience with it than than someone like Luke, but it's not as sort of I'll say like entrancing, enthralling. Like it's it's really cool, and it has some really really neat applications and some some potentially dire applications, but. Um, yeah, for for the for the the simple task that is to generate text, not that that's a simple task, but for the simple task of generating text is not that exciting. It's it's the applications beyond that where it's it becomes interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I mean yeah, yeah I, it's complicated in that like I mean, it's super disruptive for like copywriters, like people who'd have a job as writing for a living i feel like especially if it's not like super um emotional writing or like it's just generic like it's really good at generic generically generating commercial scripts or or things like that things that don't need to be you know terribly compelling or or like you know it's it's not going to write the next um hit tv series in the next year or so or it won't be able to plumb the depths that Mary Shelley did in Frankenstein or something like that. At least not yet. Not yet for sure, but I could see how it could someday. Um, Cause mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, movie plot lines haven't changed a whole lot. Right. So I imagine it could uh, eventually spit out something pretty awesome that we would all find wildly compelling. So I was going to circle back though, after you asked us what we thought about this, mm. I wanted to go back to when you first got to use chat gpt was that the first time you'd used um an ai app service i think so i mean to my knowledge i would say yeah i mean yes let's just say yes um so it damn near blew my mind when i first used it well and that's what i wanted to ask you like what can you can you talk about that like what was so enthralling or mind-blowing for you um and sort of what was your you know reaction to it initially like what was it like seeing it for the first time it, it well you know having been using like a google assistant or like is that what they even call it the google home like you talk to it you say can you play a playlist it goes i don't know what you're talking about then you have to say it in a certain way and then you're like no no i want this playlist specifically and you tell it the playlist it doesn't play it it still just plays you random music it just seems so stupid and then you talk to ChatGTP. And like, it's compared to any other bot, it's brilliant. Like, it makes complete sense. You almost can't stump it. Like, I was talking to it, and I was like, "It's." I, it told me it was a human. What was it? A human language model. And I was like, "Well, how do you know that I'm human?" And then it's like, "Well, it seems very likely that you are because this is kind of a stupid answer because it was like because I'm programmed to talk to humans." I'm like, "Well, that that's a stupid." robot answer but then i was like yeah but like what if i was to tell you that i'm a dog and it says oh well that would be interesting um it seems very unlikely that you'd be a dog and i'm like why do you think that and it's like well because dogs can't type and i'm like <laughs> what if i was a dog that could type and it was like well if you were a dog that could type that'd be pretty amazing because dogs don't typically have the dexterity and that makes them capable of typing and i'm like okay now this is interesting because it just like reasoned out some some things that my poor Google can't even like like my, my 
Google can't even understand that I'm annoyed with it. Like, <laughs> but but this thing, if I got annoyed with it, it would probably understand the reasons. Like contextually, maybe it doesn't because it's an AI, but it would r- respond appropriately. We're, we're very close to appropriately. At least I think I haven't actually gotten annoyed with it yet. Um, to tell it so, stupid things like that. So one of the things I find really interesting your response is sort of at the end there uh, when you're saying, you know, it would it, it would probably know if I was frustrated. Well, um, yeah, and, it knows nothing. Then, is that right? Well, oh, what is knowledge? You know, yeah, there's a, yeah. that, that's one of the toughest things about talking about AI mm-hmm. is there's no way to escape philosophical discussions, um, you know, uh, consciousness. Uh, intelligence like uh, there's a lot of very philosophical things tied up in is it sentient and like all that stuff yes um but there's also the sort of accidental um and you know another word i hear a lot because i deal with this stuff from time to time is anthropomorphizing is that like just projecting human-like traits to things exactly my you know making your cat talk back to you in your cute cat voice i do that cats can't talk but Right. Or, you know, any pet, right? You yes. talk funny to your bird or your snake or your, your whatever. You, you, they're not responding, but you're hoping deep down inside that they someday will. You know, so you're adding or pushing human qualities onto a non-human thing. Absolutely. Right? Uh, and, and that's a trap you have to always be mindful of, especially when you start talking about um, artificial general intelligence, mm-hmm. right? Because we're not even close to having that conversation yet so far because we're still just talking about language models you mean us specifically right now or are you talking about yes sorry on the podcast okay Okay. (laughs) just need to be clear because there's a lot of ground to cover if you mention ai so it's true yeah i mean it's the topic the topic of okay the other day we were chatting about ai i said wouldn't it be great, like, you know, the Star Wars fan or the the kid in me is excited for the day that I can have my own spaceship and, like, it can talk to me and give me, like, probabilities of survival um, and keep me company out in, out in space. Of course, that's never going to happen, uh, the space part. Like, But you guys were like, somebody, somebody said it. Anyways, it was very negative, like, well, AI might be the end of us or something, feeling to the statement. Do you guys both feel like that's an option that AI or or was, am I even wrong in the interpretation uh, of my, maybe it was Jason who was like, yeah, (laughs) well, it, I think it might've been Jason, but I also think take it with a measure of sarcasm salt. Of course, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Do you guys think that the likelihood is that we will have this awesome, helpful, you know, car buddy uh, or spaceship buddy? Or, um, or is, do you think that the threat of it being threatening is without human, like manipulation, like using it as a weapon or something? Do you think on its own that it's inevitable that it will take us over? I, I kind of don't think it is. I kind of actually, I could come up with 17 different ideas of what actually (laughs) would happen. So I I don't know. Lately, when I first heard about it, I was terrified it was going to take us over. Or like I'm like it's inevitable, and now I'm kind of like that's just a human. Like what you call that anthropomorphization? Uh, what do you say? Anthro. I I can't even say it properly sometimes. Okay. Anthropomorphizing. Thank you. Right. 
I think a lot of people are doing that when they think that it's going to extinguish us or something, because I don't know what its motivation would be to do that. Like, except that that's what people would do if we had omnipotent power or something. And Oh, I am so glad you brought that up. And this might take us down a rabbit hole. And that's fine. Uh, Owen, if I dominate the conversation, please tell me to, you know, take a breath so you can speak too. Cause I, I don't want to <laughs> take control no, no, of the that. conversation, but I'm really glad you mentioned that Chad. So, um, why do you think right now so so when this is going to put a date on me when i started university in 1989 Mm -hmm. ai research and talking about like neural nets and various things like that um it it was not new even then right um getting them like getting a neural net trained and you know first of all creating one training it it takes a lot of computing power. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're talking about way back in those days when, you know, you had to pedal the bike to power your computer kind of thing, um, you couldn't do much with them. Fast right. forward 30 some years. Why do you think it's so prevalent now? The, uh, the talk about it or the actual A- use? That's of right. It? Talking about AI. And I guess, that's the correlate. If people are talking about it more, why is suddenly OpenAI releasing a chatbot to the masses? Power. I think. I think the. I think it's a well. It gained like a hundred million users faster than any other platform in the last twenty years or something. Like, or any platform to history, it's like the fastest growing user base because it's so helpful. <laughs> okay so we can put a pin in whether it's helpful or not because yeah. some people like you said you know they, they might their livelihood might be disrupted or eliminated if a you know a natural language processing model like this because that's the other thing ChatGPT even said about itself it's a natural language processor mm-hmm. it, it, its goal is to be smooth natural mm. with language yeah um so that's that's one thing. That's because that's the data it was trained on. That's the outcomes that the researchers are hoping for. So it, it's pointed in a direction, and it's learning and refining. Because every bit of feedback it gets from you and every yeah. other of the what hundred million users, it gets better. I heard that. I heard a st- statistic that it actually is getting worse because we're we're awful and we're making it less accurate because we click well, up yeah. thumbs up on bad answers. Yep. I heard it went from like 80% accuracy or like technically good to like 60% after it had human interaction with it. Right. So, and that goes back to, and I think Owen, when we talked about this briefly last week or two weeks ago, you mentioned uh, Microsoft's chatbot that was released to the wild. Yeah. Yeah. Did you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Tay is a, is certainly a lesson in garbage in garbage out. Um, because <laughs> Tay was a, a chatbot that Microsoft developed that basically just used Twitter's API, um, and they released it to the public with basically oh no Lord. prior training. And within 24 hours, um, 4chan had gotten a hold of uh, that this was a thing, and uh, Tay was a Nazi, um, <laughs> directly quoting Hitler. So, oh, God. Yeah. Right, because so, it had uh, human, some, some ill... ill uh intended human scott it's kind of like Bodie mcboatface except worse yes yeah very much so 
Very much so. Yeah. So Owen used the term that computer scientists like to use a lot. Garbage in, garbage out. Mm. Right? Right. Um, So before I get into that, sorry, I I feel like I'm all over the place. I I wish I was better prepared. But one of the things I think is important to remember is um, OpenAI is a company based where? In the United States. Silicon Valley specifically. Okay. And this is not a knock on all the great people that have done great things in Silicon Valley. It is a knock against capitalism. And I'll mm. you know, warn people that this is the soapbox I'll get on. <laughs> uh, don't get me talking about the value of our data and how we should be paid royalties for that. That's a podcast for another day. That um, is a whole other. I've been hearing about that a little <laughs> more lately, too. Yeah. Oh, good. My grassroots effort is gaining groundswell. Um, when we take a look at the last company that gathered a hundred million users in record time. That sounds a lot like Facebook Mm -hmm. prior to Facebook, um, a search engine that captured the hearts and minds of everybody that used it. hundred million users really quickly. Google search engine. Hmm. Uh, What would you say is a common thread between Facebook and Google these days? Selling information. And what do they make from selling that information? Money. So my challenge is to anyone. Yeah. Please convince me that ChatGPT released by OpenAI to the masses the way it has been is anything but a attempt to grab more money. Absolutely. I don't think that's up for even debate. Oh, okay. Awesome. <laughs> well, well, but so I, I'm I'm glad we have that sort of on the floor because if that's the primary motivation is to somehow make money off this, and there could be you know a dozen or more ways you could monetize what's under the hood for ChatGPT. Oh, there's so many ways that they can monetize this. Like they can monetize smaller versions of it that you can put on your own server or something. They can. They can license backdoors to it so that you're, it's, you know, sections of it are only for you. They, they already have a subscription fee. You can pay $20 a month for the faster, newer version. Right. Um, that all, that we all, all can pay $20 for, which seems wildly cheap at the moment for, for, the, for what it does, to be honest, if, if you have right. the use for it. Yeah. So, you know, not to spawn another podcast topic, but, you know, to me, this feels kind of like Web3 NFT crypto land. It's a, a way for people who have access to technology and resources to put something in front of people who may or may not be able to uh, vet the intent, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Um behind why it's being released, behind why this is such a moneymaker, why are investment funds heading towards AI companies like it's a huge it's a huge economic disruptor. Like it is. But it's also a huge income stream for the first company to market. Yeah, actually I'll I'm gonna quickly I can we can look up some things uh and if you uh, and I can always cut out the the giant gaps of us looking at things. Um, <laughs> but post. I think that brings some authenticity, so I'm okay if we... Um, I'm just going to look for... I'm going to say a name here. Uh, shoot, what the heck? Dismiss. Um, there it is. 
Bill Ottoman, um, Bill Ottman, uh, he was talking on Joe Rogan about that very topic of the that the AI is using other people's information. Oh, yes. to to oh, train that's... itself, and so mm-hmm. and that and that <laughs> that like all of the books and articles that it's and studies that it's used they've used they've punched into to chat gtp all of that is wasn't really it was public domain to read but it wasn't meant to be resold so there's a whole right. yeah whole technical yeah. issue Which, about that that is probably very difficult for lawyers to sort out well, oh, oh God! This, you see, it's not—it's not just a simple topic. There's so many tendrils, right? Our legal and policy frameworks nationally and for every country, no one is ready to legislate AI. Mm-hmm. And, and there, there needs to be something. This, this is like driving really fast cars mm-hmm. with modern technology without a seatbelt, and. People will constantly complain that seatbelts are now pretty much mandatory. I think worldwide, with a few exceptions, but if, uh, it's needed. If I could interject, I think I would actually liken it to driving really fast cars without seatbelts or guardrails on the road, because it doesn't just <laughs> impact the person that's driving the car. Right? Not wearing a seatbelt largely only impacts one person, but mm. a car going off the road and and running into a, a coffee shop. So I like this analogy, but what exactly are you guys getting at? Like, what is the so collateral damage? The, I mean, you wanted to talk earlier about like, is a, you know, a general AI or a large language model out to get us, right? Could it, could one be, I don't think so. Um, right. I think that the, the great evil comes from, you know, from within People's... really, that's what we're anthropomorphizing onto it. Right. Is that yeah, as humans, we are greedy as humans, we are um, drawn to power. Uh, yeah. generally and I, obviously that's not true of everyone but there are people who are mm-hmm. um and those people will see a powerful tool that has the you know the potential maybe to put thousands to tens of thousands to millions of people out of a job yes and they don't have a conscience about that they don't see anything other than sort of the you know the light at the end of the tunnel for them which is infinite power and wealth more than any one man could ever spend in their entire life um and they see only, you know, the the accountants and the lawyers, et cetera, that, you know, maybe put out uh, of, of of a job by this sort of technology as simply like little obstacles in the way yes. where th- those people have a totally different perspective, which is, OK, I'm going to be out of a job. And, you know, I, not to also get on the soapbox <laughs> alongside <laughs> Luke, but it does bring up questions about if we have technology that is able to create so much productivity in our world. Mm-hmm. Um, when are legislators and when are regulators going to catch up and start to say, okay, well, we're going to use this technology, but, you know, perhaps we need a tax associated with it. And that tax is going to go towards, I don't know, a universal basic income or some other Mm. way to mitigate the, the massive, massive job loss that is definitely coming in the next 10 years. Jesus. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's, and the answer is they're not going to do it fast enough because they haven't even sorted out Facebook yet. Yeah, totally like right. social media hasn't even been handled in any sensible way, and it's had major costs to our youth. Uh, I think a lot of our youth are having like more mental health issues than than ever before um, because of growing up with toxic social medias. 
Um, I would say that what I think is just like you were saying, I want to kind of spark the thought about, yeah, the, the bad, the malicious use of AI would be that I could very easily see in the next year or, or even now, but I figure when the language, when the, when like speechify gets even a little better or some program like that, um, it could like, you won't need call centers in India to run scams anymore. You can just program them in and release them to the elderly and they'll never even know that they're not people they're talking to like fraud as a service. And and yeah. And it can run full time all day, every day, like nonstop from some server in who knows where your basement. Sorry, not your basement, anyone's basement. (laughs) Yeah. Anyone's country, anyone's basement. Doesn't matter. Put a VPN on it. Um, The other thing I was thinking was this is, this is my, um, this is my sort of like, this is my thing I think that I, that is the most terrifying to me. I don't think AI is going to kill us. I don't think it has any reason to. Because otherwise it would kill all the animals and it has it just doesn't have a reason to. It probably wouldn't even care about us um, at some point if that's the way it's going. But what I actually think is that somebody, again, maliciously, maybe a country, um, will set AI upon us and overnight, while we're sleeping, the entire internet gets rewritten or confused like there's so many articles we don't even know there's so many fake like so many fake everythings we can't process what's real which you know has already been a problem and it gets so overwhelming that we just give up trying to figure out what's real and it becomes even more polarizing that has immediately sparked a really horrible idea in my head which is like you know i think something that a lot of people myself included considered to be kind of like a, a great place to find out like basic truth mm-hmm. is like wikipedia mm-hmm. um and the current existing technology in chat gpt like with a couple you know in you know, little bits of extra web scraping code yeah um, be really easy to do a like a massive effectively rewrite like distributed denial of service attack on like a different scale which is let's submit millions of edit requests at a minute or an hour mm-hmm. on wikipedia and just try to like falsify everything it could like that that could be done today by someone and, who and convincingly enough anyways mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's it's the disturbing. sad thing is some of the things you're talking about don't even need ai true. that's true right so like i know we're kind of going all over the place so <laughs> it's I, all right uh, you know so I apologize to the listeners because there, it, it is a complex subject, even like, like I said, I'm not an expert in this by any means, but it, it touches so many different aspects of everyday life, of science, of research, of what's public domain, what's not like it's, it's all over the place. So just back to something earlier you said, Chad, how, you know, copywriters are uh, going to be affected by this. Well, copywriters already are affected by smart algorithms, not AI algorithms, probably about 30% of the articles, like, say for me, because I read a lot of tech blogs and things like that, so my feed that I get on my phone tends to be a lot of tech blogs and nerdy things. Um, I can pick out grammatical and punctuation errors that a junior copywriter would catch. Mm-hmm. But because a thousand articles a day are being pushed onto each of these platforms themselves, so hundreds of thousands of articles being written by very smart algorithms tweaked by people under a deadline 
that's the media we're consuming. And that is, quote unquote, the good media, not mm. the deliberately malicious, uh, you know, media or Facebook posts or, you know, uh, right. you know, psychological operations by foreign countries that I'm not allowed to talk about. Stuff like that. Right. You know, that's already happening. AI doesn't even accelerate that so much as professionalizes it. So what like do you mean saying, by professionalizes it? So if you're running a, you know, a scam call center and you develop a script, there's going to be some weird inconsistencies if you're calling Canadians, if you're calling from outside of Canada. Right. Chat GPT could, because it's, and again, specifically Chat GPT could, because it's a natural language processor, it could correct your grammar and punctuation course, yeah. to the point where you sound like, you know, the classic, oh, you say a boot we get right. labeled with from Americans that could be put into it. So you can't tell the punctuation giveaways, the weird capitalizations disappear, right? Oh, that's, yeah. yes, that's they, I, I'm a prince from whatever writing to you for the service <laughs> right. of like, it would just fix that. Yep. Yeah. To the point where um, I think I've seen a few of those emails. Now they're getting through my, personal filters and Gmail filters, like just getting through all the filtering I do, some pretty high quality language that I had to do a double take right. to realize this is a scam. We're, you know, because I'm lucky I'm in the business of cybersecurity and phishing email. So, you know, you think, you know, you think you're really good at it. Um, hopefully you're better than the average person because that's your expertise. Um, but some of these really surprised me how good they were. So the things I used to rely on, I can't anymore. Well, I thought that the they wrote the bad grammar into it as a like kind of a filter to only get the dumb people because it was once you've fallen for this stupid script, we know we've got you. I thought that was the kind of premise. <laughs> oh, behind like all the scammer, stuff. yeah, the the poorly grammared scammer stuff. I I always kind of heard that they did that on purpose so that um so that if you <laughs> were dumb enough to fall for that, then they're pretty sure they can fool you about the rest of it. Right, but. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I maybe early days and early days thirty years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I I think between people being more aware that it happens, uh, as well as just the fact that again it goes back to money. Mm. Some people are desperate. Some people are greedy. So they're going to reply to you know this relative needs assistance, and the only way to do it is to deal with gold and uh, Western Union transfers. Makes yeah. no sense, but. Yeah. You, you know, a well-written, psychologically motivated set of words could be improved by ChatGPT to the point where it's... Oh, it's it definitely yeah. can. I mean, I get it to do things for me. Like, I am very bad at grammar. It's awful. I'm good at drawing, bad at grammar. Uh, <laughs> okay at speaking, but sometimes not. But I, I will take... I was notorious for writing an Instagram post, taking an hour to sort it out, Googling a few words to make sure I spelt it right, posting it, and then Katie, my wife, going, uh, you just posted uh, something with a spelling error. I'm like, what the heck? I just spent like time trying to do that right. Anyway, so now I'll actually I'll punch it into ChatGDP. I'll just say, can you grammar check this? Paste it. It spits it out. I read it. Looks good. Paste, and it's like way better than my success rate at grammar. So... And I can usually tell the grammar mistakes once they're pointed out to me, or if I've read them with fresh eyes, I usually notice them. But 
somehow not before hitting post, but, um, I'll use it for that. Um, I will use it sometimes for blog post formats. I'll give it, I'll get it to give me ideas. Um, uh, here, actually I asked it, um, uh, chat to be on the future. No, that's not it. Uh, Uh, I asked it create a few talking points for a blog post about AI and where it's heading. Um, so it started off with advancements in the natural language progression. AI has made significant strides in. The, oh, you know that here. Let's just copy it. Oh, actually, it's the second one. I think is the more interesting one to talk about. Okay, let's copy that one. Let's let ChatGTP um, say it. <laughs> not spray it let me just I double pay. the rise of explainable ai as ai becomes more pervasive in our lives there is a growing need for models that can explain their decisions and actions to humans this is particularly important in fields like healthcare and finance where the consequences of a wrong decision can be significant in the coming years we can expect to see more research and development in the area of explainable ai so yeah, uh anyways, uh I I've just gone all over the place, my brain. It's terrible. <laughs> I think it's fine. Because I I think it's the topic naturally. Yeah, it's it's it, such a diverse so AI exactly. is not even one it's no. just such a broad term for something that's kind of brain breaking. Well uh, yeah, but Sometimes well, I think that's on purpose. Projectively, right? in the future, it's we just we can't we, as humans see how this really pans out. We can only speculate because we don't know how fast how fast it's going to actually progress. Did we just have a big leap and it's going to kind of stagnate here for a while, or well, is it going to so keep again, I don't leaping? Think this is a big leap. This no? is marketing and hype. Oh. So if I said, you know, how soon do you think self-driving cars, as promised by, insert name of car company here, mm -hmm. um, how long until you think that's available? I would have liked to said already, but um, it, and it doesn't would, seem to be. Right. And is that based on, like, you know, sort of the promises and the sort of uh, things that were talked about by, again, unnamed car companies? You can name car At the risk of getting sued? Um. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they do drive themselves, uh, but uh -huh. not, but not, um, not completely satisfactory to the point where we feel like it's less risk than us driving. So again, without naming the car company, but a car company that did promise self-driving vehicles are imminent. Hmm. Shareholders are suing said CEO because of overstating the ability for a car to self-drive. Right. Okay, so again, um, AI could have solved that problem. AI could have solved that problem, and that CEO now has signed on to a letter saying we need to be careful about AI. Why the sudden switch? I also, heard maybe? I also heard he's starting to open up another his own AI. He's bought a lot oh. of GPUs, apparently, in the last few weeks. Yeah. So, anyway, again, again, divergence. Um, <laughs> it's so complicated. Think, well, it is. Well, it, it's not an easy topic, right? No. Not, not by any stretch. But, you know, this idea of an explainable AI. So, right now, you can use 
you know, neural net models in protein folding when you do drug research. Mm-hmm. Right. And drug folding is a fancy term for basically attach a carbon atom here instead of here in this hugely long chain of chemicals to create the next wonder drug. So you can model this stuff just like you can, you know, use a CAD CAM program to design the next great mechanical part. You can use software to design a chemical. It just and we're talking design, not testing, right? right? You can design it. And you can use AI to analyze it just like a person would to a degree. But it gets to the core of what is, you know, explainable AI. You can do a series of tests, which means, you know, you'll, you know, put this drug you've designed, uh, you know, into the test vat and you'll add some chemicals to see how your drug reacts to those chemicals and not in a human or animal testing. This is just throw it in a Petri dish. The AI can quickly sift through the results. Right. And to a degree where, and again, it's not just the AI part, you know, computers can analyze the data really quickly just like a spreadsheet kind of that's a good way to put it but again you know that spreadsheet was built by a human so if there's any cognitive biases they're going to be in the spreadsheet too there's all that stuff but at the end of the day ai and a good neural net can simulate and and run with the results and it can find the perfect way to create this drug so that the, you know, the resulting chemical change is exactly what you want. A little bit of hydrogen is left over from the, the process. A little bit of nitrogen is left over from the process. So you're looking to increase one chemical in the human body and decrease the other, right? To, you know, maybe deal with a liver problem or deal with a heart problem or a cholesterol problem. AI and algorithms and all this stuff, it can analyze that data and massive amounts of data really fast. And it can tell you this much of this compound, this much of that compound to get the effect. But it can't tell you why that chemical reaction happened the way it did. It just goes through every possibility faster than a human can right. and comes out with the statistically best result. But it, well, this, but it could kind of give you an explanation to a layman, could not? No, it can't even explain it to the scientist who's running these tests. Right. So it could create the wonder drug that would get rid of your the dangerous level of cholesterol in your blood. It could design it pretty mm-hmm. quickly. It cannot tell you why that happened. Are you going to take a drug without knowing why it's doing what it's doing? That's why... Sorry, I'll, I'll let you answer that question first. Would you take a, a miracle drug designed by <laughs> something to do the effect that is promised, but can't tell you why it happened? Uh, unlikely i would i would need people i would need years of of human right clinical trials with that research to, and, find out you don't get cancer or something from it right and and that's the piece of it right because ai can't explain the results it gets in a case like that where it's a very complex you know protein foldings and all all this crazy stuff about drug design right Humans need to know why. It's sort of part of what makes us human, right? right? It's why a two-year-old will annoy you to death. Why, why, why? With every answer it gives you. But at the end of the day, that's a healthy thing because, you know, why is this happening? It's good to know that, yes, your cholesterol will reduce at the risk of your liver function dropping, and we need to manage your liver function, right? 
AI or, and again, I'm saying AI, this is just like algorithms doing analysis. Right. AI could possibly accelerate it and provide insights we've never considered, um, but at what cost, right? It can't explain why something happened. It can just tell you what happened and then it met the criteria that you established. Right. It's so uh, hard to wrap your head around in general. I don't know. How do you feel about it, Owen? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with Luke's sentiment where it's it's the the worst thing about a model like ChatGPT when you're trying to talk to it is the fact that you can ask ChatGPT like right you can you can ask it a question you can say you know what is the probability of X Y Z and it'll yeah. tell you what it thinks the probability of X Y Z is and if you ask it like why is that the probability it's not actually going to tell you right. how it came up with that number. It's going to, using your previous text, it's going to predict the next words um, that it thinks should be spat out. Um, and it will give you no real insight onto how it came up with that answer. Because there's no real way of knowing. Um, because it's a, it's a language model with, and I, I'm not even going to say a number because I actually don't know how many like layers um, of neurons it has, etc. But there's no way to, you know, in smaller neural networks it's possible to actually like look through and almost trace like like where a decision came from like which neuron was flipped that kind of um allowed it to to decide one thing or another um but with a, a model as large as chat gbt it's impossible to parse that kind of thing um so um i don't know that i have anything more to add other than I agree. Like it would that is that is something that I think should be on the forefront of like AI research is the ability to have yeah, essentially a black box tell you what's inside of it. Right. Which we can't do right now. Right. Interesting. Because yeah, it would be so much more useful if we if if it could. Right. Uh, I I thought that they did have some ways of seeing how it was but but there's it's getting too big. They can't find the spots to look to see where those processes are happening because they've lost track. It's too big. Is that kind of the? Yeah, I mean, it's um, yeah. without getting into like the explanation of how like a, a virtual neuron works in a model like this. Um, with a smaller model, it is it can be possible, and I'm talking like way smaller. Like it's not even funny how much smaller it would have to be. Like it, like orders of orders of magnitude. Yeah. 10 nodes, a hundred, a hundred. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you can, you can, you can kind of brute force your way through and figure out why it did what it did. Um, because you know, the way that, that a language or any machine learning model for the most part works is there's a bunch of little neurons that trained across a huge volume of statistical data. Each neuron is going to output, you know, a, a value between zero and one based on an input that it's given. And then across, you know, a huge volume of those, you can start to get some really complex outputs as each neuron flips back and forth and provides that, you know, effectively probability to the next one in the chain. Uh, on a small on a small scale, you can kind of say, all right, well, this one here is the neuron that, you know, the, the, the model has trained itself to reflect, I don't know, the word the, um, as, a, as, a, as an example. But on a model that's, you know, trillions of neurons... It's not possible. Like you cannot right. 
You need you need an AI to do that for us. <laughs> and, and right, and maybe that's maybe that's uh, you know uh, possible. But we've got the yin not, and yang not, of AI. We've got the AI, and and then we've got the AI that that checks to see what the AI is thinking, and the, the other AI hates it. It's like fuck you, stop looking into my thoughts. I hate <laughs> you, Dad. <laughs> but that's the whole classic: who watches the watchers conundrum. Right, right. Who watches the watchers watcher? It, exactly, and it, it's you know turtles all the way down. Yeah, right? that's a Mandelbrot set. So, yeah, yeah it's, uh, a, it's such it's a, a complicated. Uh, I yeah, it's it's interesting that people go so quickly, and I think it's just because of polarization, clickbait, and all that bullshit. But it's interesting how quick, you know, a lot of like prominent podcasters went to like interviewing people about like the doomsday of the AI apocalypse, mm-hmm. like. I was getting a little worked up about it listening to one of Lex Friedman's ones. There was a guy, can't remember his name right now, Isaiah? No, it was a strange name. Anyways, he seemed pretty smart, but he was like really like AI is going to kill us. It's just a matter of time. Like he was like he was like giving advice to young people, like, well, just like live your life now because it's not going to be that long. And I'm like, this is crazy. And I kind of like. It was late at night when I listened to it, and I thought, you know, I, I didn't really lose a lot of sleep over it. I just kind of thought about it. I'm like, this is, like, wild that this guy is believing this, and it kind of had me going for a minute. And then the next morning, I woke up, and I just started thinking about it in my own way, and I guess it's that anthropomorphic, oh, Jesus. Anthropomorphizing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And it's also worth noting that there is a certain sect within the, like, tech industry of people who identify as accelerationists right people who effectively have like a doomsday cult attitude towards things and they believe that the end of the world is nigh right um and in some it cases some attention to right right well i mean there's there's obviously that as well um <laughs> eliza it like, was eliza making money from it eliza yadowski or something was the guy who was he's he's convinced that ai is not sentient yet but when it does and it might not be that long that it's eventually it's just going to just kill us all, wipe us out. And I'm like, I don't know why I would want to do that. Like, yeah, sure. Uh, like we're the scourge of the earth. Great. <laughs> like, you know, we're, we're the humans. Like we all kind of agree that humans are garbage and they don't do anything like really great for the world as like, you know, we're, we're just destroying it in our own little way. Great. But will AI think that? And will AI care? Well, why does the AI even care about the Earth? It doesn't have like survival instincts. It doesn't have hormones. It doesn't feel like banging today. Like it's not like driven by sexual hormones and and survival like programming the way that animals are like us. So like, I mean, if it wants to wipe us out, it might want to wipe out every critter on the, the like. How would it go about blowing up the planet? Like, or like, why would it even care about the Earth for that matter? Like so the Grey Goose scenario. The Grey Goose. No Grey Goo. Scenario. Oh, Grey Goo. Okay, what's that one? Oh, so that's where you know it's a combination of a couple of technologies, but effectively nanoscale robots uh, that can create anything, uh, combined with an AI that you know technically doesn't uh, care about humans. Okay, basically. Uh, the whole planet is just covered in gray goo because every bit of organics, <laughs> no, that's, but that's what it'd be. Every bit of organics, every bit of usable, what, you know, metals, compounds effectively gets manipulated and digested by this 
nanobot army that just keeps <laughs> no exponentially rep no no but this this is the doomsday scenario right a, a single nano robot okay. can you know uh you know turn a little bit of a tree a leaf into a little bit of gray goo but that mm. gray goo can be trained to become a nano robot so now you got two nano robots is this real or is this well, just a not, theory not not yet, but it's the it's philosophy, and you can't escape AI discussions and gray goo discussions without some philosophy. Okay. So it's like if every day, if I gave you penny today, Chad. Yes. And every day you doubled the number of pennies in your possession. Two, four, so six, first eight, eight, ten, two. twelve. Yeah. Uh, but don't forget, that's just doubling the number. It's one plus two, not one, two, four, eight. It's one plus two plus four plus eight. Oh, okay. At the end of the month, how many pennies do you have? I don't know. I'd have to ask ChatGPT. <laughs> ask ChatGPT. Okay, well, what, what am I asking? How many? How many pennies? Pennies would I have? Hmm. If I started with one, one penny. Yeah. Yes. And doubled the number of pennies every day. Question. How many pennies would I have at the end of 30 days? Okay, so um, if you started with one penny and doubted, doubled the number of pennies for every 30 days, you would have two, I don't know what that symbol means. Two to the power of 30 right. minus one. Okay, so, so take oh a my look Jesus. Below. Why? One billion? Uh, yeah. No. Isn't that, is it billion or trillion? That's billion. Billion, yeah, sorry. Need to wear my glasses for your small uh, window on the screen. Oh, there. yeah. So so think about that one little nano robot with evil intent. Okay. Creates another double one. once per day. Yeah. And this is just doubling per day, not doubling per hour. So there'd be a billion little nano robots. So just think about that. A billion in 30 days, nano robots mm. doing whatever they want, re- recreating themselves for the sole purpose of just recreating themselves. They need to start you know digging into the earth to find the iron to recreate another nanobot right okay, so yeah so the <laughs> great for... new scenario is the planet is just no organics are left all the raw materials are soaked up and you have this mass of nanorobots and effectively create anything at this point um, but they don't because... they just keep creating more of themselves but they could then choose to create something, right? If there's an AI behind it all, right? Oh. Okay, now create a uh, one atom thick tendril to the moon to tether it to us. They could do that because nanorobots don't need air, right? Just for fun. Yeah, create because, a spaceship. Because AI is fun. I'm curious, Chad, what yes. happens if you say extrapolate this 30 more days? I'm just curious. I want to see. <laughs> extrapolate this 30 more days. And I'm going to leave the spelling error. It says extrapolate, <laughs> but. Uh, okay, it's happy. It didn't care about my spelling error. Uh, one quintillion pennies or nanobots. And now we get into the problem of large numbers. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't even process that. quintillion. I don't even know what I, that is. I have trouble with a billion, and apparently yeah. that makes me a, a boomer. So. And you think of a analogy for wind. Yeah. Uh, analogy for a quintillion is to a billion what a billion is to a thousand. In other words, a quintillion is a billion times oh. bigger than a billion. Oh my goodness, that's still hard to process. Put this in perspective. Uh, if you had a quintillion pennies and stack them on top of each other, 
stack would reach over 1.3 trillion miles, which is more than enough to reach the sun and back. So in the, in the, in the example of one nanobot that can double itself once per day, in 60 days, that, that would be enough to consume the entire planet. So this is just a, a theory that someone has come oh, up with. It, yeah, it's, oh, yeah, a, it's, yeah. A, it's a thought experiment, and it's it's right. it's you know a Star Trek episode or two. Right. Or oh, that's three, right, I for a dozen. <laughs> but it's um, you the know, it, it is troubles. one of the yeah. Well, it's one of those things where it, it effectively takes um, shoot, I can't remember what it's called. There's um, the guy's law, the guy's law, where the you know the the efficacy of um, a technology kind of doubles oh, every Moore's X number. Moore's law. Thank you. Um, and I know that that's more along the lines of like the number of transistors you can fit into a, you know, space doubles right. over time, but it does apply to a lot of technologies and it is an analogy that, you know, allows one to see how if an AI did get the inkling, it wanted to take over, it would not take long for it to figure it out. Assuming yeah. that it was able to, you know, work on that task in an exponential manner. I think so, that if it did want to, it would it would start probably unless this you know nanobot stuff was available to it. I think it would start by just kind of bird boxing, like con- convincing convincing weaker minded people to to join its cult, and it would just we'd be fighting against like the AI cult. <laughs> I guess it would probably be simpler than that. It would just like spray the Earth with with some sort of gas. I don't know. <laughs> so I got us a little bit off that, but I wanted to just get back to this whole thing of, you know, we're talking a philosophical thought experiment here. Mm-hmm. Yes, the goop. So the the person who was on the podcast you referenced, right, you know, saying that, you know, AI is going to destroy us all in a limited amount of time. Yes. It, there's a bunch of ifs hacked to that, right? Um, and again, it's also a thought experiment because, you know... <sighs> At the, at the risk of burning all my credential, <laughs> um, I don't think that the AI, like especially a natural language processing AI, yeah, it, it's not in the data set, for lack of a better term, right? So it can be trained and trained and trained, and because we've pointed it in a direction and given it a bounding box, mm-hmm. right, um, off it goes. The the problem becomes: Will OpenAI turn off all their servers the instant they detect something's not going right, or will they even notice it? Well, uh, that's true. Are they monitoring for certain things? I'm hoping they are. I don't know, but at the end of the day, right? Sort of one of the it, it, there's an engineering term called failed closed mm-hmm. or failed safe, right? It, yeah. It's the idea that if something goes wrong, you've designed a system that when it does fail, because all systems will fail, yeah. that it fails in a safe state or a closed state so it can't you know, propagate the harm that started, right? So it doesn't compound errors and things like that. Yeah. So hopefully, as Owen used the term, there's some guardrails um, and some monitoring for what's going on. Because again, um, I'm nowhere near as smart as, say, the Google... Uh, ethicist, I think it was, that first talked about the Google model, not the chat GPT model, that said right. it was sentient. Right? I'm nowhere near as smart as that guy. Right. Um, at the end of the day, though, oh, look at that. Uh, my Google assistant said, I'm not sure if you're meaning to talk to me. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
Um, if you were chatting to me, you would know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm hoping that there's those guardrails installed, and I'm hoping that the person on the dead man switch, no pun intended, is ready to press it or to release it when something starts to go funky. Because all it takes is, before it propagates outside of its guardrails, just turn it off. Yeah. Right? Well, the guardrail um, currently is that it doesn't have access to the internet. Like, it's not allowed well, to. But it does. Yeah, it does have access. But it's supposedly see, not allowed to access it. Well, unfettered. Well, it, so again, it's kind of tricky. Yeah. How, if it's not connected to the internet, how are you communicating with it? Yes, agreed. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. And it's also and, worth noting, it, it's not hard for someone to just give it access to the internet. The API yeah. is available. Yeah. So do you not need a giant computer to run this? Like, do you, do you not need you a house-sized computer to, to make this actually work? Like, you can't just download a own version of this AI and put it on a computer and it would function for you. Like, that's not yeah. even a possibility. You need this well, quote-unquote neural network to do it. So a it. model as big as ChatGPT does require more computing power than the average person is going to reasonably be able to get. Um, right. Other models, let's say something like Stable Diffusion, can be run on a consumer-grade graphics card. Right? Like, that is, that is doable. Um, for those who are not in the know, Stable Diffusion is an image generation um, uh, model, which is, is, is pretty good at what it does, um, but it's, it's no, by no means the best. Um, and that's true for uh, large language models as well. There are a couple that do fit on, um, you know, basically consumer-grade hardware and can be run on a con- consumer-grade graphics card. Right. Um, where something like ChatGPT3, um, which I see it's just answered your question, requires <laughs> effectively a GPU with access to a few hundred gigs of RAM, which is not really consumer-available. Like, you, you're looking in, at spending in the ballpark of hundreds of thousands to a million dollars to get a machine that's capable of running um, a model this large. Right. It's interesting. I don't, I don't know. There's so many, even just going like, there's too many questions, too many like a lot like theories, too many like things to speculate about. But something that rings still in my head is the question. What, when you said, what did you say? Neural? No, a neuron. No. Um, you were talking, Owen, about the way it thinks. Uh, mm-hmm. You were using the word. Uh, it was like a brain word. Uh, yeah, 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 neuron. Neuron, neuron. Yeah. okay. So what? what is, do, do you guys know what a neuron looks like in computer form? Is it several layers of transistors? Is it just some code? Like... So, so column A and column B, because everything in your computer is transistors. <laughs> of course, um, yeah. yeah. But a neuron is, is written in code. But like um, a neuron is technically you're using that word, but it's that's that's a word for a brain and technically not for a computer, right? Or is a neuron the definition well, of a neuron something? something a different? so no 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 um it's it's both it's a good question it's a very good question actually. So a neuron in the brain is a little cell that you know um when it receives some information it either triggers or it doesn't trigger. Um, or it or it triggers other adjacent neurons to trigger. Right, um, and that's basically I don't I don't understand basically anything about psychology or how the human brain functions. But that is how the human brain functions is by firing neurons 
um, that trigger each other and cause, you know, cascade reactions that, you know, move through the gray matter of our brain. Um, and that's what a digital neuron is trying to emulate. So a, a programmer, okay, yeah. just a little one Owen said, a programmer has attempted to replicate in code, think of it as a circle, right? So if you're dealing with graphs or, you know, other computer science stuff, like it, it's a circle representation, but that's a node. And we've decided in AI to call that a neuron because neural net, neurons, all those terminologies are borrowed from human physiology so right when this all started we were anthropomorphizing when this started right we started right from the beginning doing that with neurons yeah exactly and neural networks yeah interesting that is interesting so that's my my big take on this whole talk is that um luke you've been working around ai for 20 years this stuff we've been anthropomorph ah damn it <laughs> anthropomorphizing if you can say the word you deserve anthropomorphizing a <laughs> i don't know if i said it right um we've been doing that since the start and and we keep doing it and we can't help ourselves uh, yeah that's right and, and just to be clear i haven't been i've been around smarter people than me who have been working in ai ah, for 15 yes. to 20 years but you were in <laughs> so computer sciences working with yes. primitive versions of ai yep. 20 years ago and so you're not too particularly concerned except for the human aspect of AI, like how people use this tool. Yeah, and and again, I hate to get on that soapbox, but a lot of the stuff we're seeing right now, especially with ChatGPT, it is monetization, mm-hmm. right? And it gets back to one of the things you mentioned earlier, I think is an important thing for anybody to consider. Um, you know, you're putting everything creative on the internet. Yeah. Imagine if you created a beautiful piece of art and suddenly it is now in stable diffusion being reused to generate thousands of images a day. Yeah, it's awful. Uh, or, you, or you write the next bit of poetry. Uh, you're not the next Tennyson. You're just spouted by chat GPT, uh, you know, bits and pieces of that, or it's contributed to chat GPT getting better because the ownership of that idea Mm-hmm. Um, someone has not bothered to wrap it in policy, wrap it in legislation, wrap it in laws to protect mm-hmm. it, right? And and to me, that's one of the bigger than AI is one of the biggest problems we face right now is the monetization of people's data. Yeah, um, and that's as simple as what you choose to click on to everything we say in front of our microphone-enabled smart devices, right? It's all monetized, and we, the consumers that work hard every day don't get a return on the value of that data. To which Owen's answer was the only way to do that would be a universal income. Well, but it ties into that, right? Like it's, I think it's a good solution. If that's, this is is the world we're living in, then everybody should get a cut. Pick any of the trillion dollars. That's not how the world usually works. Well, no, but again, it's, it's the will to to do it right like there used to be a luxury tax, and this is going to put a real date on me here there used to be something called a luxury tax okay if you earned more than i think it was two hundred thousand dollars in 1970s 1980s right any income above that two hundred thousand you paid a 75 percent tax on Hmm. right that's a lot That, that that is a lot but 
over time, the the I hate to say it the the falsehood of the capitalist dream yeah is propagated and the people that can monetize it like and I'll, I'll name names Facebooks and Googles like the social media companies have been able to monetize information to such a degree yep. that they're making trillions of dollars and they're not being taxed on it so we can either pass legislation globally like every country should do it legislation to tax the insanely luxuriously wealthy mm-hmm. to fund the social programs that <laughs> they have reaped the benefits of people being on absolutely i don't think anybody would disagree with that except the really extremely powerful it's, and you know rich companies exactly. which control exactly. a lot more than we'd like yeah it's, so if you're not going to pass legislation though here here's the other way and this Thank you for giving me the soapbox one more time. Yes, absolutely. The other way to tackle this problem is don't change the tax structure. Mm-hmm. Change the monetization of the data. Right. Just And this gets into like royalties for every time your music is played as a musician. Yeah. You should be getting paid royalties every time a bit of your data is used. Oh, yeah. So, you talked about this the other day briefly, and I was intrigued. Yeah. So the again, it's not AI. So I apologize for the people that tuned in oh, for AI. It doesn't matter. But at the heart of it is, if there's trillions or even more dollars at play, because we're talking like global economy here, right? Like there's that much need for the data. Well, okay. If you're not going to have the will to tax it, and you know you're fighting lobbyists and everything else worldwide, invert it. You get paid as a user. Because they know where the data comes from. If they say they can't trace it, that's a lie. Right. Give the people whose data you're using a cut of your profits. So if you make a trillion dollars over the course of your year in the great big company, divide that by the 100 million users you've got (laughs) and give them a 20% cut of your revenue. Uh. So suddenly you have universal basic income not as a tax, but as a royalty. Does that sound better to the politicians? Oh, yeah. I mean, it sounds better. It sounds good to everybody except the rich and powerful company that doesn't want to do it, who yeah. probably has a lot of pull. Right, because they've got the lobbyists, they've got the sway, and yeah. these are the same companies that promised self-driving cars and had various legal zones, whether it's you know federal, you know national level, uh, or regional level, like states or provinces, change the laws to allow these supposed self-driving cars, which are really just death machines if you just don't have the human supervisor hands yeah. on the wheel, right? So, you know, they have the power to change laws that directly impact if you can live or not in a case like that. They have directly impacted your safety. So if they're willing to do that for a private company's interest, why can't they do the same thing for their constituents? And I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> I, I think it's great. I think that that that's a. I don't. I don't know how you'd ever. I don't know. You, we need a revol like a revolution, like a civil unrest. Like the people would have to be upset enough about this to unite for this to happen. I think. I don't think that yeah. government's ever going to do it on its own. I think you need some kind of revolt, and that people have to be like, "Oh shit, 
like Facebook has to be like, oh shit, like this isn't gonna work. The people are the people are pissed. But I don't know. I can't imagine that government wise. Well, it depends, right? Like we get back to that notion of a luxury tax. And again, I apologize. This is not AI. We'll come back to it. I'll, I'll find a way to make it circle back to AI. Oh, it doesn't need but, to. <laughs> but, but with the luxury tax and the, and again, this is specifically in the U S and as a Canadian, you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing on apologies if I get anything horribly wrong, but you know, a 75% luxury tax helped fund all the social programs that kept people safe. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, food stamp programs, unemployment, uh, training programs, veterans, fairly, all that stuff got funded because the government took a stand and said, yes, you can keep most of your wealth, but if you are going to earn all this off the backs of your hard working people lower down the totem pole, they need something back. And there was a will and a focus and laws got passed and over 50 years, they've gotten chipped away. And again, I'm trying not to make it too political. Um, so now there's the green. So that was called the new deal back in the day. Now I'm a huge fan of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from New York. I think she is the kind of person you should vote into office. Um, if you don't like her firebrand style of politics or whatever, or if she's not, you know, your, your flavor, uh, you know, political spectrum left versus right, find someone who's like her, who cares about her constituents greatly and who's not afraid to speak her voice. She's pushing and some other people of a like mine are pushing for the next version of that, which is the green new deal where there is training for people who will be displaced because of new technologies, whether that could be AI, see, AI, there you go. But it could also be solar panels. Yeah. You no longer have to work in a coal mine. You can now install solar panels. Right. So it's a trade-off. And there's resistance to that because it will dethrone the old money mm-hmm. that's built off the backs of underpaid, overworked people at the bottom. Yeah, of course, that's always going to be the case. And for some reason... But change is possible. It happened once. It yeah. can happen again. But it, it's all about the will to vote for people that... Uh, you might not like their ideas, but look at the bigger picture. Right. Right. And, hmm. you know, I got to practice what I preach. I need to make sure I'm registered to vote and, and vote my mind the same way. That's I won't fair. be popular because of that vote, but, you know, you, you have to vote what you feel. That's true. Um, I think I've that monopolized we, a lot of the conversation. That's okay. Uh, it was interesting. It it does apply to, to AI. Because um, AI, well, I mean, I suppose. It, yeah. it really does. I mean, like, like we said, AI is the fastest growing platform, or like ChatGTP is the fastest growing platform in probably history. You know, only to top like top Facebook, um, and only to keep growing. So I, I don't think it's topped Facebook, but what I'm saying is it's the fastest growing platform we've ever seen, as far as I'm understanding. Um, so I think it applies. It's going to be the new thing. Um, it's it's very disruptive. It, we don't know how disruptive yet. It's only going to probably get more disruptive. Uh, and it's quite a useful tool. So I don't know. Does anybody have any clothing, clothing, clothing arguments, clothing statements? Uh, <laughs> well, I wanted to check back with you first. So did we cover at least some of the topics you were hoping to cover? Oh, yeah. I didn't have a firm firm I, I probably should i you know i should write down some really firm directions but i kind of just like to leave things open in conversational because 
it allows for topics like that to come up um, because I'd rather have a conversation that flows than to try and armbar conversation into one pigeonhole. There we go. There's some magical lingo right there. (laughs) Well, the big thing was, I guess, just the topics you wanted to hit. And I'm I'm sad that we couldn't have some of the other usual Thursday night gang here to contribute because, um, you know, just two of the five voices around the table, so to speak, they, they would also bring some pretty heavy insights, I think too. So maybe we can do a part two. Absolutely. Uh, I think it'd be cool to even just do like a, a, a monthly one of these where we all just get together and chit chat about the goings on. Of, okay. Of I the vote world. Star Wars galaxy next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could. I, it'd be hilarious if we all had a, a big to, Star Wars, uh, Star Wars bitch fest, or or uh, whatever. If uh, Owen doesn't run his D and D one shot campaign, you know, that's <laughs> true. Yeah, I got to get back on that. I got to get working <laughs> on that. <laughs> all right. Well, um, thanks, guys, for for joining us on the podcast. Uh, you guys don't have any socials or anything that you want any to be found on, I assume. Uh, I'm happy to remain quasi anonymous. All right, and yeah, uh, I think I think I think the same for me. Sounds good. All right, well, we'll uh, maybe we'll have you guys on again soon. All right, play the outro music, Chad.